Okay, so we're looking at Acts chapter 19, is that right? 19? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So interesting, Paulus leaves and Paul arrives in Ephesus. There he found some of the disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he said, nope, never even heard that there's such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? He said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him in Jesus. So on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. This was about 12 men in all. I'll be honest, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like scratching my head thinking of the significance of this because we've already had the last like bookmark, you know, Holy Spirit bookmark. <laughs> Yet one at Pentecost, and then with the Samaritans, and then with uh, Cornelius, the Gentile. But now with these guys who um, only know, like, maybe part of the gospel, only know John's baptism, but maybe when they get the full picture, I guess, and then they become really f fully Christians, maybe there are just some people going around uh, knowing about Jesus, wanting to trust in Jesus, but not getting that full picture. And I guess here is the Holy Spirit going hand in hand with the gospel. You know, it's only when you get the full message of the gospel, it's all about Jesus, that then you're able to understand how, you know, Jesus is the key to unlocking, you know, that relationship with God, that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. There are only 12 guys. And yet this is, for some reason, quite significant, quite significant for Paul to pray for them in this way. Yeah. Uh, verse 8, And he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, continued unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took some disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. We saw this happen again and again and again. It happened in Corinth, right? Remember, they kicked him out. So here, they were opposing him again. And what he did was he moved his base of operations away from the synagogue and moved it into this, I think, school hall. That's what it is, the Hall of Tyrannus. This guy named Tyrannus was renting it to him. Uh, interesting name, Tyrannus. Think of Tyrannosaurus Rex, and that kind of thing. But yeah, <laughs> he rents this hall. And verse 10, he continued for two years so that the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, 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 notice this. All he's doing is just teaching the Bible every day. That's all he's doing. The result of that in the next verse is the whole country hears about it. <laughs> I mean, how do, you, how do you get from one thing to the other? I mean, like, if you want the whole country to hear the gospel, you think you have to have a program, you have Facebook ads, that kind of thing, publicity, get something, you know, something influential going. Uh, he doesn't do that. He rents a hall and teaches the Bible every single day. And somehow, some way, we honestly don't know how, somehow, some way, the name of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, in some form or measure, gets heard all around the country. Talk about what 
uh, church strategy or evangelism strategy. Just teach the Bible. Interesting. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had been touched by his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Interesting. It's the opposite of COVID. <laughs> you get a COVID infected handkerchief or you get COVID. But here you get something touched by Paul and evil spirits leave you. Uh, shows, um, I think, the power of this miracle, but also the authenticating power of this miracle to show that Paul really is the real thing. He's the genuine thing. He really is someone chosen by God to speak God's word. Uh, verse 13, and some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had spirits meaning their job is to cast out spirits and saying, hey, Paul's handkerchief is working better than us. <laughs> so they say, let's give it a try. Let's try this Jesus name. And so what they do, they say, um, um, they, they, they said, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. I, I tell you by this Jesus whom Paul is talking about. They don't know Jesus. They just heard Paul talk about Jesus. So we're going to try this out. Uh, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you guys? <laughs> and the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They are running for their lives because this evil spirit is trying to whack them. says, I know Jesus, I know Paul, you guys are nobodies. <laughs> and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, trying, repenting, repenting of all those practices, all those uh, divination arts before, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all in a barbecue and they counted the value of them and came to about 50,000 pieces of silver and so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily and there's an emphasis there of them leaving behind you know putting away burning up all these previous practices in order to follow God even though it cost them a lot of money they left it behind burn it up follow God uh, reminds me um, of, you know, um, Chinese restaurant workers here in Cambridge. So back in the 1990s, lots of people came here, worked in restaurants, in Chinese restaurants. And when they became Christians, what often happened was they would ask the pastor to come around and to say, Pastor, can you please get, uh, get rid of these idols in my restaurant? Because they don't want to practice them anymore and they want to get rid of them. And so the pastor would regularly have to go to these restaurants and get rid of uh, these you know, porcelain or wood idols that are quite common, I think, in Chinese households. But you can't have both together. I think it's the thing. You, you have to leave one behind in order to follow God. You cannot worship God and idols, God and money. Yep. Okay, verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. 
um, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning a way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, someone who makes stuff out of silver, a silversmith, <laughs> who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. So he gathered all his buddies who saw all these figurines um, of the goddess Artemis out of silver, so very expensive. He said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. It's all about money. It's a business meeting. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also, also, that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worships. So he talks about money and talks about their national pride. You know, we're getting income from this religion. This is the pride of our nation. You know, everyone comes here to worship our goddess Artemis. And so he says, Paul is threatening both. He's saying that, you know, he's putting an end to our income, you know, the guys that just burned all their 50,000 silver worth of books, magical books, they could burn our shrines. And he's saying this idols are not real gods at all, that we are not supposed to be able to make our own gods, which kind of makes logical sense, but it threatens their pride. No, this is our God. No, we created this temple. We made this little shrine that everyone is bowing down to. So there's a lot of self-involvement, self-interest in wanting to, you know, get rid of Paul, get rid of Christianity. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with a confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So it happened, happened uh, earlier on with another guy named Jason, but everyone who's associated with Paul gets dragged into this controversy. This whole, they can't find Paul, so they bring his friends and they drag them into this hall. Uh, but when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent, him, sent to him and were urging him not, not to venture into the theater and say, Paul, please don't go in. They're going to kill you. And yet they kind of like know, they know that Paul wants to go in. He's, he's not afraid of this. And he's, he's probably worried for his friends, but say, no, 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 no. We, you, this, is, this is too serious. There are too many of them. They're really out to get you. Verse 32, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and some of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> uh, it was so confusing that you had people there wondering, what am I doing here? And then the person next to them going, I don't know, I was following you. <laughs> they didn't even know what they were doing there. It's just a crowd attracting a crowd, attracting a crowd. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And essentially, they just don't want to hear anything, any opposition, any kind of defense. They just want to have their way. And so this guy, poor Alexander, 
he's trying to make a defense, but when they see that he looks like Paul, he's a Jew. Now, we're not really sure that he's a Christian or not. He could be just trying to represent the Jewish people in Ephesus, saying, you know, we don't have, want to have anything to do with Paul. But even so, just because he looks like Paul, we're not going to listen to you. We, we, we want to champion our pride, our idol, our people, our culture. You guys are the enemy. So really, they just want to have their way. And they just want to shout their chant. Great is Artemis. We are great. You're great. You, you guys are losers. <laughs> Verse 35, And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. The story is this. There's this meteorite, this thing that fell from the sky, this stone that is supposed to be symbolic of the goddess Artemis in heaven. And so they built a temple for her. And so that's the whole site of this temple, this, 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 this meteorite that fell to the earth. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius, pointing at that guy, that, that silversmith guy, and his craftsmen with him have any complaint against anyone, the courts are open. They are proconsuls, you know, going to lodge a, a, a court case. Uh, don't cause this havoc. Don't get us into trouble. That's what he's saying. Uh, but if you seek anything further, verse 39, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And here is a non-Christian reasoning with other non-Christians on behalf of the Christians. It's amazing. It's amazing how they don't want to listen to Paul. They don't want to listen to anyone who's like Paul. But God sends someone who thinks like them, who is one of them, saying, you know, we all know this. You know, he, he, he even doesn't believe in Christ, but he's able to see that this is a bad idea. <laughs> this is foolish. We're going to lose by trying to win. You know, so he reasons with them. He tells them, Demetrius has false motives. And, you know, if he, he wants to pursue this, let him do it the right way. But following this guy, this Demetrius guy, this selfish guy, it's going to get all of us in trouble because he says we're going to be charged with rioting. And rioting, and in this context, in the ancient Roman age context, means that you're rioting against the Roman government and the Romans can send their army and destroy the whole city, burn it to the ground. So they say, you know, we need to be really careful about the noise level, you know, about causing too much of a ruckus. And in the end, you know, it is this guy that convinces the whole assembly to disperse. Not Paul, you know, not some gospel preaching, but actually this non-Christian convincing other non-Christians to see reason in the Christians. <laughs> you know, it says, no, these guys, um, they've, they've not done anything sacrilegious. They're not blaspheming our goddess. Actually, if you look at them, they're more reasonable than Demetrius. So interesting, interesting experience that Paul has in this place called Ephesus. Lots of idolatry, lots of opposition. But in the end, God is God and things are resolved in a way that, you know, only God, only God could have done this. Yeah, so that's Acts chapter 19. Thanks for watching. Take care. God bless. Bye.